as we continue with our study on the series of Christ of the book. Uh, but the book of Ezekiel, it's easy to know where to start, but like with Daniel, it's difficult to know where, where to end. You know, Daniel had 12 chapters, and it took us three sermons to get through it. Ezekiel has 48 chapters. So I heard that groan. But actually, <laughs> but I think we're going to get through it in one sermon today. Uh, there are certain aspects of it that we're not going to focus on, but we will when we're doing a verse-by-verse study of Daniel and bringing Ezekiel into it. We will be uh, looking at some of those other key uh, components and other key parts to the book of, of Ezekiel. I have to remind myself as, as I'm studying all this to focus on the, the purpose of this study, to focus on the reason we're having this study, and, and that is to identify Christ in every book uh, of the Bible. Genesis, you know, he's creator. In Exodus, he's deliverer. Leviticus, he's lawgiver. And so we're going through the entire uh, Bible from Genesis to Revelation talking about Christ of the book. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. Christ Jesus is the Word of God incarnate. He is the living Word. Uh, as we found out the last couple of weeks in Daniel, he is the great protector. As we looked at uh, the, those young, young men thrown into the fiery furnace, uh, with Daniel in the lion's den, uh, the Lord was the great, the great protector. We also discovered that in the book of Daniel that he is the stone that crushes. And to that end, uh, we want to give a stark, stark warning to all the nations of the world. To all the nations of the world, they need to understand what is to come. That Jesus Christ is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. That the kingdom of Christ will be established on earth where he rules and reigns for a thousand years. And at the end of the thousand years, he recreates new heaven, new earth, and new, new Jerusalem. But all the nations need to understand that there is going to come a time when Christ Jesus is going to be ruling and reigning, and all of those promises to the nation of Israel are going to find their fulfillment as they become that nation of priests. Uh, all the promises to Israel are going to be realized during that millennial kingdom when he is ruling and reigning. Look at uh, Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. Look at Malachi chapter 3, starting with verse 12. Or verse 12. Malachi 3, 12. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Now folks, I ask you, is that a maybe? Is that a hope so? Is that a even a probably? No, that is a definite. When God's Word says that that's going to happen, that Israel is going to be that delightsome land, that promise is going to fall fruit to fruition. And when we get to Malachi, we're going to be talking more about that. But look at Malachi 1, verse 11. 
from the rising of the sun even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. Now that hasn't happened yet, folks, but let me tell you, during that kingdom reign of Christ, it will be. And so many other promises that God has made to Israel concerning their safety, their peace, their purpose, all of those things shall be, shall happen. So he is the stone that crushes. He is the stone that brings all of the kingdoms of the world into abeyance. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 tells us that he is going to gather all nations for judgment. That judgment of the nations is when the sheep are separated from the goats. All of that's going to happen. There is that judgment day. So again, I give notice to all the kingdoms of the world, Jesus Christ is that stone that is going to bring all the nations of the world under subjection. Again, it's not a hope so. It's not a maybe. It is a definite. Look at Isaiah. Just so you... Just to be clear, look at Isaiah 60. Let's look at verse 3. And the Gentiles, that's, well, you know, Gentiles, it's not Israel, not the Jews. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Talking about the nation of Israel. Look at verse 22. All right, let's start with verse 14 of Isaiah 60. The sons also of them that afflicted thee, this talking to, to the Jews, to Israel, concerning the Gentiles, the sons also of them that afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee, and all they that despise thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet, and they shall call thee the city of the Lord, the Zion, the Holy One of Israel, whereas thou hast been forsaken and hated, so that no man went through thee. I will make thee an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. Is that a definite or is that a maybe? That's a definite. God's going to bring that to pass. We can go on and on and on concerning God's plan and future for the nation of Israel. Uh, Isaiah 62, verse 1. For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burns. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness and the kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord shall name. And thou shalt also be a crown and glory in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Hezebah. What does Hezebah mean? Wife. And thy land, Beulah. What does Beulah mean? Married. For the Lord delights in thee, and thy land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall thy sons marry with thee. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. 
we can read the rest of that chapter of Isaiah 62, and it talks about God's plans for the nation of Israel, specifically Jerusalem, and the blessings that are going to come to Israel. And what is going to bring that out, what's going to bring that about, is that stone that crushes. It is the Lord Jesus Christ himself that's going to bring all that to pass. Now the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel gives us a timeline, gives us a picture of that restoration of the nation of Israel. The book of Daniel spells it out for us clearly. The book of Daniel talks about how those nations are going to be established. The, the, Daniel talks about the time of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. The time of the Gentiles include from the time that Nebuchadnezzar came and took Israel into captivity all the way until the Lord Jesus and his second coming comes and returns and establishes his kingdom. It's all the time of the Gentiles up until that point. And Daniel talks about that. He gives a timeline you say, I thought we were on Ezekiel. We're getting there. We're getting there. But some of you had so many questions from last week, I felt like I need to clear this up a little bit. Again, from the time Daniel tells, uh, speaks in, in Daniel chapter 9, that from the time of the commandment to restore Israel to the time of restoration, to the time that sin is taken, that the transgression is removed, from the time that God's blessings flow on the nation of Israel, from that time of that commandment is given for them to go back and to rebuild the city. It's 490 years. Boy, is God taking a risk by giving a, a timeline? No, not at all. Because God's word is, is absolutely true. It's going to happen. God's word is clear from the time of that commandment, and we have that in, in Nehemiah 2, from the time of that commandment to the time that the Messiah is to be cut off was 483 years. Well, guess what occurred 483 years after that commandment to go back to the land? The Lord Jesus Christ went to Calvary's cross. The Messiah was cut off. But then there's, we're missing seven years. That was 483, but the scripture says 483, that's going to happen. But then we have Daniel's 70th week. You add seven to 483, and you get how many? 490, right? 490. So, and at the end of that tribulation, in that seven years, Daniel's 70th week, the time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation period, the day of the Lord, that's what that seven-year period's called. And the scriptures go in, goes into great detail what's going to happen during that time. At the end of that is when Christ comes back. He establishes his kingdom. He is the stone that crushes. But something occurred. Something, uh, what happened? What happened? Was God wrong in his calculation? Was God wrong in his addition? Did God make a mistake? Not at all. Because in God, and this is so important, this is why rightly dividing the word of truth is so important. From the prophetic 
Scripture from God's dealing with Israel. We have that timetable. We know exactly what the signs of His coming are, the second coming. We know all of that. But there was something hidden in God. And I can't tell you how important it is that we understand what it means to rightly divide the word of truth and understand that there was something hidden in God. That there was that mystery, that church age, if you will, this present dispensation that we're living in, that uh, uh, time-wise, it was time for the tribulation to start. According to the Scripture, it did start. The tribulation did start. That's what, ha- that's what Peter's talking about in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost started, not the start of the church. That was all a part of the prophecy being fulfilled concerning the nation of Israel and God's promises to them and the signs and wonders that were going to occur, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father that's going to empower them for the tribulation and all the signs and wonders that are associated with that was to let Israel know, this is it. This is what God has promised. And according to Peter, he stands up and he tells those men from Judea and Jerusalem and from Jews from all, devout Jews from all over the world, he tells them, he said, these men aren't drunk as you think they are. They're not drunk. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he quotes Joel chapter 2. And you go to Joel chapter 2 and Joel chapter 3. It's talking about the tribulation period. It's talking about the end or that, that last seven years that makes up Daniel's 490 years. It's talking about that. It's describing that. Peter says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. The tribulation period was beginning at that point. And somebody said, hmm, if that's the case, I, mean, I don't know if they said hmm or not, but they, but they asked, So does that mean when the tribulation does start that the tribulation is only going to be six years and three quarters? Does it mean it's only going to be six years? Or is it still going to be a full seven years? Because God's Word says it's going to be full seven years. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. The Word of God is glorious. The Word of God is wonderful. And it answers our questions I think completely. Look at Luke 13. Look at Luke 13. Because I think this is the answer. And it all comes down to God's grace. And that's something we've all enjoyed. But look at Luke 13. Starting with verse 6. The Lord Jesus speaks, speaks a parable to the disciples. To his apostles here. And he spake also this parable. A certain man, that's the Lord Jesus, had a fig tree. That's Israel. Planted in his vineyard. And he came and he sought fruit thereon. And he found none. Boy, if that doesn't describe Israel, I don't know what does. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard. I think that's the apostles. Those that he had commissioned Go ye therefore into all the world. Behold, these three years, that's how long Christ ministered. Behold, these three years, I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumber it to the ground? Why why let it stay? Why continue with it? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also 
till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. From the time the Lord was crucified, in Acts 2, we have, in Acts 3, literally the kingdom offered by the Peter who had the keys to the kingdom. That was his purpose, was to use a key to unlock that offer to the keys of the kingdom to the nation of Israel till the stoning of Stephen where we have Christ Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father and every place in Scripture where the Lord is standing is always in judgment. Israel was being judged. How long do you suppose that was? If you say a year, you're right on. That's that year of grace. So how long is the tribulation period going to be when it starts at the beginning, when the rapture takes place? It's going to be seven years. So I hope that answers that question. Because God accounts for that. Gives Israel a year to believe. Came into his own and his own received him not. And I think it is absolutely clear in Acts chapter 7 with the stoning of Stephen when Steve, 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 I don't know first name basis, Stephen gives, when Stephen gives a tremendous sermon. I mean, he waylays them. He tells them exactly what their sin is. And he talks about their uncircumcised heart. He talks about their rejection and their rebellion. And instead of going, oh, we repent, we're so sorry, they stone him. When he tells the truth, when he speaks the truth. And it's a, he's a man full of the Holy Spirit. I think that's significant there. He's a man full of the Holy Spirit. God's Word tells us to look upon Stephen was to look upon the face of an angel. I think there was a glow about him. I think there was such an obvious difference about his walk and who he was that to look at him it left no doubt this man knew God I think with John the Baptist they rejected the father I think with the Lord Jesus Christ they rejected the son and I think with stoning of Stephen with a man full of the Holy Spirit to look upon him the Bible says to look upon him was to look upon the face of the angel they rejected the Holy Spirit that took place in the year that whole year so I hope that clears up some of it. And when we get to heaven, we get to heaven, and we find out, and the Lord comes up and says, no, 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 no. That's okay. That's okay. We'll have 10,000 years for him to explain exactly what happened. And that'll be fun too, right? As we search the scriptures daily now, what a, what a glorious time that is. So anyway, that makes up that 490 years. But at the end of that 490 years, instead of God's judgment, the tribulation falling, according to Israel's timeline, God in His grace, God in His mercy, God not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance, He did something amazing. He determined that he wanted all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so he raised up the chief of sinners, the Saul of Tarsus, and by grace he saved him, and he, and he reveals to him that which had been kept secret since before the world of what he planned on doing through the cross. See, the enemy, Satan, thought that if he got rid of the Christ, if he, got, if he crucified him, if he 
then that would be the end of it. If he was dead, that would be the end of it. Uh uh. Uh uh. Not at all. So up from the grave he arose. But the offer of the kingdom was also based on the death and the resurrection of Christ. But the offer of salvation to whosoever will, both Jew and Gentile, apart from that covenant relationship with Israel, is also based on his death, burial, and resurrection. That was a whole hidden God. What a glorious truth that is. When the rapture of the church takes place, folks, and it could happen any second, and if you're not ready, let me encourage you to by faith trust the Christ Jesus as your Savior. To believe that He died for you, was buried and rose again. Because even before the end of this message, the Lord could, could come. And when that comes, then that last seven years of Daniel, that prophetic clock is stuck. And just exactly how close it is to starting to tick again, we don't know. But when the rapture takes place, it starts, and all these promises are going to occur again. So speaking of that, Ezekiel. Where Daniel, in captivity, focuses on the Gentile nations and the end times, Ezekiel focuses on the reason for the captivity. The reason for the captivity was sin. Absolute sin. Look at Ezekiel 5, verse 5. Look at Ezekiel 5, verse 5. Thus saith the Lord God, This is Jerusalem, and I have set it in the midst of the nations and countries that are round about her, and she hath changed my judgments unto wickedness more than the nations, and my statutes more than the countries that are round about her. For they have refused my judgments and my statutes. They have not walked in them. Therefore, saith the Lord God, because you multiplied more than the nations that were round about you, and have not walked in my statutes, neither have kept my judgments, neither have done according to the judgments of the nations that are round about you, therefore, saith the Lord God, behold, I, even I, am against you, and will execute judgments in the midst of thee, in the sight of the nations, and I will do in thee that which I have not done, whereunto I will not do any more the like, because of all thy abominations. Therefore, as I live, saith the Lord God, verse 11, surely because thou hast defiled my sanctuary with all thy detestable things and with all thy abominations, therefore will I also diminish thee, neither shall my eye spare, neither will I have pity. Look at verse 13. Thus shall my anger be accomplished, and I will cause my fury to rest upon them, and I will be comforted, and they shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it in my zeal when I have accomplished my fury in them. It sounds obvious that God is not going to tolerate their sin. Look at 11, Ezekiel 11, verse 12. Matter of fact, the key phrase of Ezekiel, the key phrase of Ezekiel is, and you shall know that I am the Lord. That's the key phrase. All the way through Ezekiel, 61 times, 
61 times Ezekiel uses that phrase. And you shall, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Um, in Ezekiel 11, verse 12, where you already know, or you already turned. And you shall know that I am the Lord, for you have not walked in my statutes, neither executed my judgments, but have done after the manners of the Gentiles that are round about you. So here, you're going to know that, that I am the Lord because of the judgment that's going to come down upon you. Look back at Ezekiel 6. I got out of place. Look at Ezekiel 6, verse 7. And the slain shall fall in the midst of you, talking about Jerusalem, talking about Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Over and over, like I said, 61 times, the theme of 27 out of 48 chapters is you shall know that I am the Lord. As a matter of fact, that is Christ in the book of Daniel. He is the Lord they shall know. He is going to leave no doubt who he is. And I think it's interesting, when you compare at the beginning of the book of Ezekiel, you shall know I am of the Lord, and it is based on the judgment, the harsh judgments that come upon Israel. God's word is very clear why Israel is being judged. It's because of their sin. It's because of their wickedness and their waywardness and how they did not walk in His statutes. The first part of it is clear. You're going to know that I am the Lord. You compare that with the promise of restoration at the end. Look at Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37, verse 6. And there are so many others in between. But look at Ezekiel 37, verse 6. And I will lay, this is the valley of dry bones, and that's that, that study, fascinating study. And I will lay sinews upon you, and I will bring up flesh upon you and cover you with skin and breathe in you and you shall live and you shall know I am the Lord. Both when he judges, you're going to know he's the Lord. But also in this rest, promised restoration, you're going to know that I am the Lord. Look at Ezekiel 39, verse 26. Well, just let's start with verse 26. And after that, they have borne their shame and their trespasses, whereby they have trespassed against me when they dwelt safely in their land, and none made them afraid. When I have brought them again from the people and gathered them out of their enemies' lands and have sanctified in them in the sight of many nations, then shall they know that I am the Lord their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the Gentiles. But I have gathered them into their own land and have left none of them any more there. Neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. Those are God's promises of restoration. His promises of judgment, but then His promises of restoration. Why? So that they might know who the Lord is. Again, the theme of 27 out of 48 chapters. You're going to know who the Lord is. So I warn all nations of the world. You watch the news. You hear people clamoring about what man is going to do. Basically, my faith, my confidence is not in any man, any politician, any ruler. Matter of fact, they're pretty scary, actually. 
My faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you something else. Galatians 6, 7. We need to understand this church, body of Christ. The world needs to hear this clearly. And if they were to call and say, hey, will you want to preach to the White House? Congress needs a message. Uh, are you going to be able to preach to a joint session of Congress? Are you willing to do it? Uh, we decided not to have the president speak this year. Would I do it? Well, that's silly. But what would I preach? What would my scripture be? Galatians 6, 7. I want the world to know this. God is not mocked. The world mocks God right now. But Christ Jesus is that stone that crushes. That there is a payday someday. And God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You can summarize the book of Ezekiel as it lists the cause of Israel's judgment and then God's hand in Israel's restoration and all the promises. Now, we're not going to have time this morning to, to talk about the cherub and, and the wills within wills. We, we're going to do that in the Bible study and, and all these alien sightings and all of this stuff that people see. I, I, I think that's angelic and demonic activity that we get glimpses in. People say, you're crazy. Well, that has nothing to do with that being true. <laughs> that absolutely nothing to do with that being true. We're not going to be able to talk about the temple uh, today that we're going to have to wait. Is that, what, a, what a glorious truth that is, the temple that's going to be rebuilt in, in order for the Lord Jesus to rule and reign from Jerusalem. Ezekiel spells all that out. The battle of Gog and Magog, we're not going to get into that. We will in the Bible study. Uh, but by the way, do you know what's happening in Syria, probably as we speak right now? Do you know what's happening with Israel in Syria and Iran? That you don't, you're not hearing anything about Have anybody heard about the bombings that have gone on in Syria by the United States and Israel? Anybody heard of that? Oh, so you're in war. But all you hear about is the war between the Democrats and the Republicans. All you hear about is things that are happening down in Florida someplace. There is a war going on. And you know where that war is centered and, and head, it, it, where it's happening? Around where Russia has several military, including a major naval base. There is so much going on in this world that the news media does not want you to know about. And I'm telling you, look up for your redemption draws nigh. That's a fact. Well, all the, but we're not going to take time to go into all that this time. But we're going one of these days. What's interesting is you look at the book of Daniel and Ezekiel just to kind of get a glimpse of what the importance of these two books, these two prophets. Daniel and Ezekiel both prophesy outside the land. Israel is in captivity. They are not in the land. I think it's significant that Daniel's name, Ezekiel's name, ends with E-L, which is L, which is God. And Daniel's name means God is my judge. Ezekiel's name means God strengthens. But outside the land, the name that's used is God. 
not Jehovah. Isn't that interesting? See, Jehovah is the covenant name of God. El is what he is. El, he is God. Jehovah is who he is to Israel. Jehovah has everything to do with that covenant relationship that God has with Israel. Daniel outside the land. It's Daniel. God is my judge. Ezekiel. It's God is my strength. The two prophets, two major prophets in the land were Isaiah and Jeremiah. Both in with Jah. Jehovah. Isaiah means Jehovah is my salvation. Jeremiah means Jehovah is the sender. Jehovah is the one who sends. Both of them in the land talking about God's people outside the land. Totally different name. I think that's significant. Daniel is part of the first siege, the first phase. Ezekiel is part of the second. Much of Ezekiel is spoken before the third and final destruction of Jerusalem. And one of the things that Ezekiel sees, folks, that's so significant, and we need to understand the sadness, we need to understand the implications of something that Ezekiel sees. Something tragic. Something telling. And in Ezekiel 10, Ezekiel describes, he talks about the departing from the temple of the Shekinah glory of God. Do you understand how startling that is? In Ezekiel chapter 10, Daniel describes the departing of the Shekinah, the glory of God, that which brightened the temple, that which accepted, he who accepted the sacrifices. It's gone in Ezekiel chapter 10. Ezekiel chapter 11, it shows the Shekinah glory departing the city. It shows it in 10 departing the temple. In chapter 11, the, Holy, uh, the, the Shekinah glory of God, God's presence leaving the city. That is tragic for Israel. Talk about lo ami, not my people. Ezekiel describes that. And the people, as they're reading his prophecy, they're weeping over that sadness and the implications of that. Of course, the good news is in Ezekiel 43, we have the return have the return of that Shekinah glory in the millennial temple when the Lord Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning. As a matter of fact, in, in Jerusalem, I mean in Jerusalem, in, in Ezekiel 48, 35, look there real quick. Ezekiel 48. The new temple has been rebuilt according to the dimensions that God gives Shows Ezekiel. All the blessings to Israel are being poured out. In Ezekiel 48, verse 35, 
describing the city. And it was round about 18,000 measures, about six miles. And the name of the city from that day shall be Jehovah Shammah. Je Jehovah who is there. Jehovah who is there. It starts out with Ezekiel because of their sin. And it ends that he's back. He's back. And here are his promises. Not that Israel ever did anything to deserve it, because God's Word says it's going to happen in this fashion. And it is going to happen. When you compare that at the beginning, look at Ezekiel chapter 8. At the, at the beginning, Ezekiel chapter 8 talks about the image of jealousy that Ezekiel sees that's in the temple. It talks about the paintings on the wall in the temple and, the, and how horrible they were and how defiling they were. You, you have the old men of Israel there along the temple weeping because they don't have the images that were in the temple there anymore. Verse 12, chapter 8. Then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? And every man in the chambers of his imagery and his imagination? For thy say, the Lord sees us not. The Lord hath forsaken the earth. The Lord, he doesn't care. The God, God doesn't see anymore. Let's do what we want to do. Basically, that was Israel's attitude. Verse 13 and 14, you have the women in the temple, in God's temple, in the temple that he blessed, in the temple where he accepted sacrifices, in the temple that he described, that he established, you have women weeping in the temple for Tammuz, for a false god. They were weeping. Then they are worshiping the sun in God's temple. It, it describes, you read that, it describes all the horrible, vile imagery and all the things that were going on in God's temple that His people were carrying on with. And Ezekiel describes all of that. And there's no wonder that he, judgment fell. And God says, you're going to know that I am the Lord, both in their judgment But look at Ezekiel 20 real quick. I hope you can tell there's a whole lot more in the book of Ezekiel. But look at Ezekiel 20. Start with verse 33. Verse 16 of Ezekiel 20 talks about Israel because they despised his judgments and walked not in his statutes, but polluted my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols. Boy, that describes Israel. Verse 27 talks about how they blasphemed him. But look at verse 33. But as I live, saith Jehovah Elohim, surely with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out will I rule over you. And I will bring you out from the people and I will gather you out of the countries wherein you are scattered with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the people and there will I plead with you face to face. And, lack, 
and like as I pleaded with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt. By the way, that's what Hosea 2 is all about. So will I plead with you, saith the Lord God, and I will cause you to pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. This is God's promise to his people. And when it talks about I'm going to cause you to pass under the rod, that's not a punishing rod. That is not a whipping rod. That is not talking about punishment and judgment. That is the rod that shepherds had that they would hold out over their sheep as they would, as they would bring their sheep to the fold. And the shepherds would count their sheep and they would inspect their sheep and they would lovingly care for their sheep and they would hold out that rod and they would watch their sheep pass under that rod. That's what that's talking about. I'm going to observe you. I'm going to watch for you. I'm going to make sure you're healthy. I'm going to make sure you're okay. That's what God's Word's talking about there. Verse 41, I will accept you with your sweet savor when I bring you out from the people and gather you out of the countries wherein you have been scattered and I will be sanctified in you before the Gentiles. God's word is going to take place. Why do the heathen, why do they imagine vain things? God sits and he laughs at the direction that the world is going. Oh, wow. So much more. Look at Ezekiel 30, 36, and then we'll be done. I, there's, there's so much to, to the book of Ezekiel. But speaking about that rod, I, look at verse 30, chapter 34, verse 11. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land and will feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture, and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be, and there shall they lie in good fold, and in fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock. I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. You know, a sheep cannot lay down unless it's completely at peace. Sheep cannot lay down unless it's completely at peace. There can be no discomfort there can be nothing that's bothering it in order for a sheep to lay down, to lie down, whichever it is. I will seek that which was lost. And what did Christ come doing as the good shepherd? Seeking to save that which was lost. I will seek that which was lost and will bring again that which was driven away and will bind up that which was broken and will strengthen that which was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will feed them with judgment. Verse 22, Therefore will I save my flock and they shall no more be a prey. I will judge between cattle and cattle and I will set up one shepherd over them and he shall feed them. Even my servant David, he shall feed them and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. What God says he's going to do with Israel, he is going to do with Israel. 
And you read in Ezekiel all the, and, and all the other prophets, all the things that they were doing that were so dastardly, so evil, so wicked, so disturbing. You wonder, Lord, why? Why didn't you just go, enough's enough, slam? You, that, that's enough. I, the Lord, have spoken it, so that's going to have to happen. But when you study all of this and you read all this, you know the one scripture that I kept coming back to this whole week is I kept looking at all this, and it's, it's so dramatic. I kept, I read this, and then I went to John 3.16. You study all this and you go, Lord, you still love them? And you know what his answer was? John 3.16. For God so loved the world. How? Lord, I can read what all they, they were doing. I, I can read what man has do, done. I, I can read, based on the historical evidence of man, how can you love him? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. That is incredible, folks, when you stop and you study God's Word and you understand the fallen, bent condition of man. And let's carry it one step further. Yes, Christ Jesus came and, and, and He died for our sins and He shed His precious blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Christ Jesus became that payment for sin that all men owed. Hallelujah for that. But God's Word tells us that salvation was of the Jews. That was preached to the nation of Israel, but He came into His own, His own received Him not. Gentiles, according to Ephesians 2, were lost without hope because if salvation was of the Jews and the Jews were rejecting their Messiah, you Gentiles, you were in deep trouble. Without hope alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, destined for a Christless eternity in hell. But he looked beyond our faults. He saw our need. And we learn of his amazing grace that God is not willing that any should perish. So what did he do? He provided salvation to all who believe. Not in their own good works. Not in their own ability. That's man's religion. But by faith trusting in the one who said it is finished. Who died on Calvary's cross. Payment in full. And then who was raised again for our justification. What a plan of salvation. What an offer that we just did not deserve. Amen? What amazing love. Let's bow in prayer. Father, as we come before you this, this morning, how thankful we are for your word that tells us just how bad we had it. And how bad man was how wicked, how 
held captive, not just by a strange land, but, Father, in sin. And, Father, you've set us free. You've delivered us. And we thank you for that plan of salvation. We thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for Calvary's cross, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it tells us about the offer, the relationship that we can have with you. And I pray this morning, Father, that every person here knows you as Savior. Father, they have been made new creations because by faith they trusted that what Christ did on Calvary's cross was payment in full for their sin. They believed that he died on the cross, that he was buried, and he rose again. And Father, they understand that there is not a lick of work that they have to perform. There's nothing they can do to change their life from darkness to light. That's all brought about by your grace. And that you do the work in their lives. You bring about the change. We thank you for that salvation. And we pray all these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.